0: Welcome. I'm Richard Prosh, and this is another edition of Six Gun Justice Conversations. These are episodes where my co host, Paul Bishop, or I get to hang out around the virtual Six Gun Justice Campfire, spend some time talking with friends who work in the Western genre. With me for this edition is best selling author J.R. Sanders. J.R. Sanders is a native Kansan and a longtime denizen of the L.A. suburbs. His interest in Old West history stems from childhood visits to the Dalton Gang Hideout, Abilene, and Dodge City. His interest in crime dates back to his days as a police officer and a private investigator. His nonfiction articles regularly appear in magazines such as Law & Order and Wild West. He's a member of the Western Writers of America, Western Fictioneers, and the International Thriller Writers. J.R. currently lives in Southern California with his wife, Rose, and their rescue dogs, Ruby and Marlowe. Visit his website at www.jrsanders.com. Hey, JR, thanks for reigning in at the virtual campfire under the stars for some conversation.
1: Hey, Rich. Thanks for inviting me. You
0: know, I just read your bio, and it says that you worked as a policeman and a private investigator. Can you tell us a little bit about those days and how that might influence your writing and your Westerns today?
1: Sure. I was a private investigator for about... Well, I did, I worked in that field for about six years. I worked under my own license for only about two years and was a police officer for 15 years. And, uh, I suppose there's some influence in the Western writing that I've done, particularly with some gave all because of. That background, my, you know, is naturally very sympathetic to the plight of of lawmen and particularly old West lawmen who were working back in the day with without the uh advantages that modern law, law enforcement kind of takes for granted, you know, communication right. and backup and equipment and, and training in particular. I think that uh, probably had some influence in, in wanting to do uh, the Some Gave All project in the first place and then in the approach that I took to it.
0: I know Paul Bishop and I have talked about modern day law enforcement compared to the almost vigilante styles of sheriffs (laughs) and marshals in the old West. And Paul says, you know, that uh, Wyatt Earp wouldn't fly today because it's just too much of a a team effort
1: often. Yeah. yeah, And and those, the poor guys that were doing the job back then, I mean, you didn't have training as such and they sort of had to learn everything by doing and by making mistakes and sort of the old, the old saying that, you know, Good judgment comes from experience and most of that comes from bad judgment.
0: Does your background ever influence you like as far as stories go and plots? Do you ever do you ever think about cases that you worked on and think, well, you know, I could, I could take this case a little bit and twist it around and maybe add some characters and make it the basis for anything?
1: It, it hasn't really so far because my head is so far in the past when it comes to stories. The era that I've written about and that I'm really most fascinated with lately, anyway, with law enforcement is the 30s and 40s.
0: That kind of noir era. we exactly. think. Exactly. So I was thinking about Stardust Trail, which is in some of that uh, that era. Can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about the idea there? How'd that, how'd that book come about?
1: Well, I, I had wanted for a long time to write a traditional Western And I thought about it, thought about it, and I just wasn't coming up with any great ideas. And so I thought, I'll shelve that for now. And another thing I had always wanted to take a crack at was a traditional, old-school, hard-boiled detective novel. And so when I started noodling around with with ideas there, I knew I was going to set it in the 30s. I settled on 1938 in just reading about that era. It got me thinking about the B Westerns that were being filmed during that time, you know, the Gene Autry singing cowboy stuff and all those early John Wayne cheapies, the Republic films. And at some point, it just sort of dawned on me hey, maybe, you know, maybe I could combine the two and do this traditional detective story, but give it sort of a Western setting and a Western backdrop, set it in the world of these B Western actors and bit players. It seemed like a natural being set when it was because uh, this was during the time that. Uh, Stagecoach was being filmed, which, you know, completely changed the Western in that time. The big studios had stopped doing Westerns because they thought the Western was played out. You know, how many times over the years have we heard that? But then along comes Stagecoach and all of a sudden it's a big hit and the big studios get back into the Western games and sort of started to overshine some of those Republic and mascot and, you know, all those smaller studios, the Poverty Row studios that were doing Westerns.
0: So how does the, how does your your main character fit into this how did how did he come about?
1: I just started with the you know the basic idea of this guy who was a local guy in the early drafts he was born and grew up in Pasadena and I knew that he was going to to have a background as a uh, as a Los Angeles county deputy and had been gotten into some bad business at work that caused him to leave the department uh, through no fault of his own really. Along the way, because the making of Stagecoach was always sort of hovering in the background of my story or what story I had at the time, I felt sort of obligated to insert John Wayne at some point in the story. But I didn't want it to be just a gratuitous, you know, hey, here's John Wayne cameo sort of thing. Right. Uh, I was trying to find a way to to kind of organically drop him into the story. And it occurred to me one day that my main character and John Wayne would have been about the same age. And I knew that John Wayne had, uh, as a teenager, had lived in Glendale, had gone to Glendale High School. And so I just moved my main character, his hometown, from Pasadena to Glendale and wrote it into the story that he and John Wayne or Duke Morrison, as he knew him at the time, were uh, schoolmates high school buddies and that (laughs) that allowed me to sort of bring john wayne into the to the main story with this character it's a great idea well thanks i think it worked out well
0: and a lot of people do too because stardust trail has gotten some good reviews i've seen a lot of good good buzz on the internet and facebook about it i've been happy uh,
1: with the feedback and yeah was finalist in a couple of awards this year which i was thrilled about so will there be some more books with nate ross there will be at least two more because that's what my contract says. Terrific. Uh, and uh, then beyond that, uh, I don't know. I guess time will tell.
0: So you write a lot of nonfiction, too. And one of my favorite articles of yours uh, is about roller skating in the <laughs> Old West, which seems like a, a something that we don't think about. With articles like that, do you come up with these ideas and pitch them? Or you know, does Wild West or somebody come to you and say, hey, write about roller skating?
1: It's it sort of worked out both ways over the years, but for the most part, there are ideas that I come across that just sort of grab me and I think, wow, that's kind of odd. And there hasn't been a whole lot written about that. And with Wild West, particularly, I think, and without intending it. I've sort of carved out a niche as the guy who writes about these weird little offshoot topics of the Old West that you don't normally think about or read about or even know about, like roller skating and stage train wrecks and body snatching, grave robbing. I did one article for their Guns of the Old West uh, segment, and even that uh, was about a weird gun, a folding shotgun. If you can imagine a 12-gauge shotgun that you could carry concealed in a belt holster and deploy it and fire six shots in about three seconds. Wow! It's just fun. I enjoy reading about, you know, sort of these unknown little corners of the Old West. So I'm really drawn to writing about them, too.
0: Oh well, that's a great niche because I think that there's so much that's out there that's unexplored. There's a, there's a lot a lot of room for some
1: uh, new stuff. That's very true. I I get into trouble sometimes when I get to talking about Wyatt Earp because you know people seem to either love Wyatt Earp or hate him. I'm somewhere in the middle, but but I really think far too much emphasis over the years has been put on Wyatt Earp particularly as a lawman in the old West. You know, you can't have a a conversation about old West lawman without his name popping up.
0: And that leads us to, uh, to talk a little bit more about Some Gave All. That's a great book. I, uh, I remember when Thank it came you. out, and I've got it here. These lawmen, uh, some of them we've heard of, some we haven't. How did you go about researching that? It seemed to have probably taken some time and, and quite
1: a bit of effort. To it, it did. It. I think the research on that was about five years. It came about, and I can't even recall now, I was, I was writing a magazine article. I don't remember what article, but I needed some fact I was, I was doing some fact-checking, looking in old uh, 1885 issues of Texas newspapers, and I was reading this San Antonio newspaper, and I found whatever it was at the time, I found the item that I was looking for, and a couple columns over was a story about this U.S. marshal having recently been killed on a train while he was transporting prisoners to the federal pen up in Illinois. And it was just this complete Wild West, hair-raising, blood and thunder sort of story. And I was amazed because I'd never heard of this man or never heard of this incident. And so my first thought was, well, you know, here's great meat for another magazine article. But then the more I read about it, I started thinking, you know, this guy was unknown. I've never read a single word about him ever. There were probably a lot of these cases, probably a lot of these Old West lawmen who you know, had careers at least as uh, colorful as Wyatt Earp's, but nobody knows their names because they were killed in the line of duty and buried and forgotten about. And it just struck me what a sad thing that is. So I thought, well, let me start poking around and and find out. And, you know, maybe there's a book in it it turned out I ended up with a database of well over 200 of these cases, you know, far more than I could have put in a single book or, you know, probably ever even live long enough to write about.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, some as Paul and I have discovered with the podcast, so many of these names that we have heard of, whether it's uh Wyatt Earp or whether it's somebody like somebody like Buffalo Bill or somebody Wild Bill Hickok you know they they contributed so much to their own legends they were so yeah. you know they were egocentric and they flamboyant yeah. and and you know what about the guy who uh, who's not all that who's just
1: wants to serve and do his duty you know exactly and and as i say i've got this huge database and and i had to narrow it down to you know what i could fit in a single book and a lot of it came down to which incidents and which people I could find enough background information and documentation on. Because some of these were literally just a guy who was a marshal in a little dusty podunk town. He was killed in the line of duty. He was buried. And that's it. And yeah. you dig and you dig and you dig. And there's just no more information available than that. It's just tragic.
0: So was writing something you always wanted to do when you're growing up? Did you want to, did you want to write like you are today?
1: Yeah, you know, I was I was a strange kid and I've got siblings that can back me up on that. (laughs) And yeah, from the from the time I could talk, you know, I was or read and write anyway. I I was writing little books and little stories and I used to write plays that I forced my poor siblings to help me out to act in and the family had to watch these things. Yeah, so it's it's something I've always done. And when I was in school, English was always my best subject. It was pretty obvious early on that I wasn't going to grow up to be a mathematician.
0: Who are some of your inspirations when you when you write uh, for westerns or or crime fiction? You know,
1: that's hard to narrow down. Um, there's so many the westerns. I love you know some of the old early guys like Jack Schaefer and Owen Lister. Monte Walsh is a particular favorite of mine. Newer guys, uh, I kind of tend toward the hard boiled sort of the crossover guys that write both crime and and Western uh, guys like Elmore Leonard, who, you know, a lot of people that read his modern stuff don't even know that he cut his teeth writing for pulp Westerns, right. Western magazines. That's right. Uh, And, uh, Robert B Parker, you know, I like his crime stuff better than I like his Westerns, but Westerns are pretty good too.
0: I remember talking to Bill Kreider once, a Mm. mutual friend of ours who, uh, passed away too, too soon, but, uh, he, uh, You know, he always talked about the the blurry edges between crime writing and Westerns that his his Westerns would often just would be a crime. You know, there would always be a crime involved. Of course, then he had his Sheriff Dan Rhodes novels, which were contemporary, but uh, but had a kind of a Western flavor to them. I always thought.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, you look at the stuff, you know, now we've got the Longmire books and C.J. Box and there's a whole lot of that that sort of crossover where, you know, it's, it's traditional crime stuff, but it's in a Western setting, Western characters, Western themes.
0: And now, and now you're, you're joining them with your character. (laughs) And so that's, well, I think it's it's exciting. It's exciting though, isn't it? To have a a bookshelf and, uh, you know, have your Robert B Parker or your Craig Johnson, and then have your own book up there. It's kind of fun. It's a charge. It is a charge. Yeah. It's a just, it's a real kick. So what's coming up next? Are you are you working on a novel? Are you working on some short some short nonfiction?
1: Uh well, as we speak, I'm putting the final touches on the second Nate Ross novel. it's going to be due uh going to be published in uh early April. It's called Dead Bang Fall. Oh, great. That sounds and, good. Uh, and a little different than the first book. It's, it's, it's not really the Western aspect to this one. It's Nate uh chasing a gang of uh, film pirates. Not, okay. You know, our yeah. mating pirates. But, uh, <laughs> bootleggers right bootleggers.
0: Oh, that sounds good you know that that sounds like fun to explore early hollywood like that you're in southern california you're in the perfect place to get that soak up that
1: vibe yeah you know for for all the paving over of history that la does a lot of the 30s and 40s stuff is still there and still accessible particularly old movie sites and studios it's an advantage
0: that's terrific Well, I'd like to wrap up our conversation by, again, pointing listeners to your website at www.jrsanders.com. And uh, you're also active on Facebook, right? Yes. I'll have our listeners look you up there. Thanks a lot for being with us today, JR. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Rich. I enjoyed talking to you.
0: And thanks to you for listening. Paul and I appreciate your support of our Six-Gun Justice podcast and hope you continue to enjoy each and every episode. As always, a hearty thank you to our sponsors, Wolfpack Publishing, author Chris Enns, and the Western Writers of America for making this podcast possible. Be sure to check our website, www.sixgunjustice.com, for links to previous podcast episodes, speed listens, and prior conversations, along with reviews, interviews, and articles from the Western genre. Till next time, keep the sun at your back, and a good horse at hand. Let's ride.